0: All right, if you have your Mark journal from last week and would like to pull that out, or if you have the Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 1. Kids, especially if y'all have your Mark journals, they should have your name on it. We're going to do something similar this week. There'll be some neat scenes that are going to be described in Mark chapter 1. And so if you would like to illustrate or draw what's going on in the sermon or in the passage and then... Come up and show me after the sermon. We'll have a treat for you, a special treat for you again. So I would love to see what you guys come up with. If you need pins, they should be on that table right behind you. Mark chapter 1. This week will be in verses 9 through 15. Last week, verses 1 through 8, we we introduced to Jesus through a messenger, through John the Baptist, who came and who was sent by God to prepare the way for the King, for Jesus to come. And this week, Jesus himself is going to take center stage in Mark's narrative. And Mark is going to announce the arrival of Jesus through three very distinct and important scenes. Two of these scenes are going to tell us something about Jesus's identity, who he is. Then the third scene is going to tell us something about Jesus's invitation, what he offers to the world. Now, establishing the identity of Jesus is really important for Mark. Everything that he is going to say really banks on us understanding who Jesus is. And so if you want to understand what Jesus says and what Jesus does, you need to know who he is. Because as Mark is going to show us, salvation only comes to those who grasp the identity of Jesus and then respond to the invitation of Jesus. So if you want kind of a big theme for today's sermon, that's it. Salvation comes to those who grasp the identity of Jesus and respond to the invitation of Jesus. If we fail to see who Jesus is, we will miss the salvation that he offers. But if we see who he is as the beloved son of God and savior of the world, then we will be ready to hear his invitation. So Mark chapter one, nine through 15, we'll read it in English first, then in Spanish. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. La semana pasada empezamos el evangelio de Marcos con versos 1 hasta Ocho. Y hoy vamos a estudiar Marcos capítulo 1, versos 9 hasta 15. Entonces, lo, yo voy a leer Marcos capítulo 1, 9 hasta 15, que dice, Aconteció en aquellos días que Jesús vino a Nazaret de Galilea, y fue bautizado por Juan en el Jordán, y luego... Cuando subía del agua, vio abrirse los cielos, y al Espíritu como paloma que descendía sobre él. Y vino una voz de los cielos que decía, «Tú eres mi Hijo amado, en ti tengo complacencia». Y luego el Espíritu le impusó al desierto, y estuvo allí en el desierto cuarenta días y era tentado, Por Satanás, y estaba con las fierras, y los ángeles le servían. Y Después que Juan fue encarcelado, Jesús vino a Galilea predicando el evangelio de, del reino de Dios, diciendo, El tiempo se ha cumplido, y el reino de Dios se ha acercado. Arrepentíos y creed en el evangelio. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask now, especially for the reading, understanding, and preaching of your word, that it would be clear to every one of us that we would see Jesus for all that he is, and that we would respond rightly to his invitation this morning. Ask that you would help us to do this by your spirit, we pray. Amen. I mentioned three scenes, and I hope you saw it from Reading through the text, the baptism of Jesus, verses 9 through 11, temptation of Jesus, verses 12 and 13, and then the invitation of Jesus there as he begins his preaching ministry in verses 14 and 15. So the first of those two scenes, if you're wanting to walk through with a, with a kind of notes or take an outline, first of those two scenes, we're going to look at the identity of Jesus. And then the last, we'll look at the invitation of Jesus. So first, the identity of Jesus there in verses 9 through 11. What I want you to see is that the arrival of the Spirit and the approval of God the Father at Jesus' baptism together confirm His identity. So in verse 9, you saw in those days, so the days that we talked about last week where John the Baptist was baptizing people out in the Jordan, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth where he grew up and where he spent most of his time prior to beginning his ministry. He came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, it's interesting that Jesus comes to be baptized by John just like everyone else, right? There's only one difference. There's no mention of Jesus confessing his sins like everybody else was. So Jesus comes to John. There's no confession on his lips, no mention of him needing repentance, and Mark is going to fill this out later in the gospel. Even in our passage coming up in a couple weeks, he's Even the demons will recognize that Jesus is the Holy One of God, so there is something different about him. We mentioned last week that Mark is probably Peter's account of things, and over in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22, Peter himself says that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus had no sin to confess, why did he go to get baptized? We'll answer that clearly in a moment, but the picture gets clearer as we keep on reading as to why that is the case. So look at verse 10, and Jesus was baptized, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So before we thought Jesus might be different from everyone else, now we know that he is different. And Mark is emphatic about this. How do, I, how do I know that? Well, look at the words that he uses to describe what happened. He doesn't just say the heavens were opened, like Matthew and Luke do in their account, for example. Mark says shorter, but he uses a very clear word. The heavens were torn open. You can underline that if you want to in your journal, in your Bible. The heavens were torn open, or literally you could say the heavens were ripped apart. The only other time Mark uses that word in his gospel is when he is describing the curtain of the temple being ripped apart when Jesus is crucified. As if to say the barrier between God and man, it was finally crushed when Jesus died, but now the barrier between God and man, it is beginning to be ripped open at Jesus's baptism. And if that's not enough, there's actually something else going on here. Back in Several hundred years prior to this text, when God's people were in a very desperate place together, they were running out of options, really, and they were pleading and praying to the Lord to intervene and to help them. This is in Isaiah 63, and the very first verse of Isaiah 64 as they're pleading for God to intervene and actually do something, listen to what they pray to the Lord. Isaiah 64 verse one. They say, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. That the people were desperately longing for God to do something. And that for anyone who has ever set and prayed to the Lord, would you please intervene in a major way in our lives? Jesus is the answer to that prayer. And Mark is specifically telling us that that longing that people had way back in Isaiah 64, that God would tear open the heavens and come down, he's using that same exact idea here to say that God has torn open the heavens and he has entered in to human history. And he has done something that is totally and completely new. And so the Spirit arrives as the heavens are torn open, and it's as if Mark is telling us that God is not absent in human history. But also, God is not silent, right? Look at verse 11. And a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son and with you i am well pleased the spirit arrived on jesus now god the father is speaking from heaven mark began the gospel with god's voice being spoken through the prophets right And now he's saying that God is here today speaking again and his voice is loud and unmistakable. It is a voice of divine approval over Jesus and his life and his ministry. And this is incredible, right? Because we mentioned when everybody else was coming out to John to be baptized, they were, the only voices they were hearing were their own as they confessed their sins and then maybe John's voice as he preached to them a, a message of repentance and forgiveness. Nobody else received a voice from heaven that verbally, powerfully, loudly declared, this is who this person is except for Jesus. He hears this voice, and so this helps us see, as as it relates to the identity of Jesus, that Jesus has a divine nature. He has a divine identity. You are my beloved son, and as I just mentioned, Jesus receives divine approval. With you, I am well pleased. Now, the entire Bible tells us that God did not start to be well-pleased with Jesus at this time, but he has always been well-pleased with Jesus. He has always had this kind of love and affection for his son. So to return to the question we asked just a few minutes ago, why was Jesus baptized if he had no sin? Well, Jesus was baptized to confirm his identity as God's beloved son and... To communicate to us that Jesus is going to act as a kind of bridge between human beings and God. That Jesus' baptism signals that he is one with God and he is one with us. So what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2 5. He says there's one mediator, right? Between who? Between God and And man, and it is the man Christ Jesus. And the baptism of Jesus essentially is saying that he is our representative before God. He is the one who will be the bridge between us and God. So to get to God, you have to go through Jesus. And he is choosing to identify with his people in this way by being baptized. Baptized. And man, the baptism of Jesus should be a wonderful, profound comfort for us. Because if God the Father approves of Jesus, and if God the Holy Spirit accompanies Jesus, then you know what that means for everybody who follows Jesus? It means that you have the approval from heaven like Jesus does. It means that the Spirit of God accompanies and arrives in your life just as he did for Jesus. Because if you are united to Christ, these things are true of you. And even better, because the Father's love for his Son will never end and never run out, neither will it end or run out for those who are united to his Son by faith. So you do not have to worry that God will one day be so fed up with you that he's going to give you up. He didn't do that to Jesus. Therefore, he can't do that to you if your life is united to Jesus. And so that brings comfort for us. And so that's the first scene, the identity of Jesus in his baptism. Now let's look at the second scene, right? The temptation of Jesus. And here's what we need to know about the temptation of Jesus. It is this, that the... Satan's attack and Jesus' triumph over him in the wilderness also confirm his true identity to us. Look at verse 12. The Spirit, it says, immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. So Jesus does not accidentally wander from his baptism out into the wilderness, but the Spirit led him there the spirit did not tempt him when he got there of course but the spirit did intentionally lead jesus out into the wilderness so with profound purpose jesus goes to the wilderness to do what to demonstrate his authority as god's beloved son over god's ancient enemy the devil there's more going on here, too, because the timing of this temptation is, is no accident, right? Look at verse 13. It says he was in the wilderness for how long? Forty days and being tempted by Satan while he was there. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Oh, this this is great. Mark does this. The other gospel writers do this too. But Mark puts them in such close succession that we have to see this. When the people of Israel were brought out of Egypt, God delivered them through the Red Sea. Do you remember that? Later in Scripture, Paul refers to that as a kind of baptism for the people of Israel. That they came through waters of judgment into salvation. And then where did they go after that? Into the wilderness where they were tempted for 40 years years. So what Mark is telling us here is that Jesus is kind of replaying, rehearsing the story of Israel, except he is not going to fail. He is going to succeed. So Jesus is baptized in the Jordan similarly, right? Then he is driven out into the wilderness where he is going to do battle with Satan and he is not going to emerge defeated. Jesus is going to emerge victorious, so Mark is telling us that somebody greater than anybody else is here. And so we learn that his temptation in the wilderness, it was dangerous. I think that's why Mark says he was with the wild animals. I don't think there's anything more going on there than just simply saying that Jesus was probably in physical peril being out in the Judean wilderness by himself. No, he was probably, he lacked food and he had probably had little access to to water, and yet Jesus was not without help. Spirit went with him, and then at the end, we read that even angels were ministering to him to strengthen him. It's as if all of heaven knew that this temptation of Jesus in the wilderness was really, really important. And so, Mark has put these two stories together the baptism and the temptation to tell us something about the identity of Jesus, and that is. That Jesus has authority from heaven and Jesus has authority over the powers of hell. And he's going to go through great lengths later in the gospel to show us just how far Jesus' authority over the powers of hell goes. That he has authority over demons. He has authority over illness, disease, deafness, blindness. People who are lame all sorts of different bodily ailments. And ultimately, Jesus has authority over sin and death. Everything evil and wrong that Satan brought into the world, Jesus slowly and methodically shows his power over. And his temptation in the wilderness is the first sign that this is going to happen. And so if Jesus' baptism can give us comfort, I think the temptation of Jesus can give us strength in our Christian life. I think when we feel as if we're backed into a corner and the only thing that we can do to get out of it is sin in some way, temptation of Jesus in the wilderness says that that is not true. That no matter how far or how tired or how difficult a situation is, God can always and does promise to supply his people with the strength not to give in to temptation. That Jesus himself was tired and hungry and seemingly alone, and yet he was full of faith and he was resolved not to give in to the enemy. And so when we look to Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, we see not only an example for how to resist temptation, but we see that he actually gives us strength because he has identified with us in it. Hebrews 2.18 tells us that because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I was... If you think about the temptation of Jesus, C. S. Lewis, I think this is who it was, has a if, if I'm wrong, you can correct me later, but he has this neat illustration about temptation. And if you picture temptation as all of us are standing here, and there is this this mighty rushing wind coming towards us. And it starts out, it's not too bad, but it just increasingly gets stronger. And temptation is like that, right? And eventually all of us either we get blown over by it and we give into sin, or we just like lie down and we give up, right? And so you picture all of us standing there, that's happening one by one, we go down. And he's saying that when Jesus was tempted, he stood there and he withstood the full weight of temptation and he never lied down. He was never blown over. He never fell down until that temptation was done. And so what that means is that if Jesus has passed through the temptation without sinning, that he then can lead his people that way as well. Now, we know we will never be free from sin until we're free from this life as we know it. Yet we also know that God will never put us in a situation that he will not also provide us with a way out. And so if you're inclined to think that God has abandoned you into some sort of wilderness yeah. where you're just caught up in sin, he hasn't. He hasn't. That's right, Scooter. He hasn't and he won't and that's part of why we gather together in churches that's why life in a local church is so important because it puts us in community with other brothers and sisters in christ who are walking through the same kinds of temptation that we are and that we can strengthen and help one another and that's why this can give us strength and so these first two scenes about the identity of Jesus, they kind of prepare us now for the final two verses that tell us about the invitation of Jesus. Now we're ready to hear what Jesus has to say. Look at verse 14 and 15. This is the invitation of Jesus. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. So Mark clues us in that John was arrested. And we shouldn't be all that surprised about that because John was that fiery. Wilderness preacher, who, when you call enough people to repent you 're going to make enough people mad with you, and sometimes you 're going to make people with power mad at you and you 're going to get yourself in trouble and that 's what happens with John is he gets arrested and he gets thrown in prison and We might be tempted to think that that makes sense, like John kind of probably had it coming. he was a little bit too harsh, a little bit too crazy with what he was eating and what he was wearing that we might expect this to happen. John just ruffled too many feathers because his message was too harsh. So thank goodness, meek and mild, quiet and unassuming Jesus is here to kind of tone down John's message a little bit, to kind of just invite us in as we we might do in our own day, right? If you're going to win people over to your side, you're going to just kind of approach them as quietly and and persuasively as you can and you're saying hey if you want to listen to what i have to say that's great if you don't that's fine your life will be just fine but if you want to come give yourself to my listen to my ted talk for 20 minutes and i'll just kind of explain to you the way that your life can be different if you come and follow me that would be great but no hard feelings if not is that what jesus does not at all right jesus comes in and he blatantly takes John's message, repeats it, and then even goes even further, right? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is why I mentioned that if you want to hear this invitation from Jesus, you've got to understand the identity of Jesus. Because if he is just another man with some good ideas, this kind of message makes no sense. But if Jesus is the son of God who has also conquered Satan in the wilderness and will continue to, and he is the Lord of all creation, then making the kind of clear, urgent declaration that he does in verse 15 makes perfect sense. And these are the first words out of Jesus's mouth in the gospel of Mark. And I don't think that's an accident. They are an urgent pressing invitation that tell us that God has invaded our world and every one of us has to radically reorient our lives because of that. God has arrived on the scene and nothing will be the same. And so if we, like Jesus' audience, are just kind of coasting through life thinking we can do what we want, here Jesus tells us God has ripped open the heavens And he has an announcement for all of us. And so when Jesus says repent and believe in the gospel, he is telling us everyone must take a side. There is no dual citizenship in the kingdom of God. You cannot be partly in the kingdom of this world and partly in my kingdom. Jesus says you have to take a side. Later, he's going to say if you want to save your life, you must Lose it for my sake. There's nothing casual about Jesus's message. That's why there's nothing casual about what we do as Lonsdale Community Church. We love being a place for relationships to be formed, friendships, all those things, but all under the banner of the fact that we are trying to encourage one another and to encourage the world around us to repent and believe in the gospel. Because the message of of Jesus, it does two things to every one of us. It confronts us and it comforts us. And if you want to be comforted by Jesus, you are going to have to first be confronted by Jesus. Everybody wants to be comforted by Jesus. Few of us are going to sign up to be confronted by him, but that's what this phrase, repent and believe the gospel, does. Repent, that's a confrontation for you to not make peace with your own sin and unrighteousness but to give it up and then believe in the gospel that's a comfort that there is hope for you if you will do that and jesus has promised to provide both so i think it would be wise just as we come to the end of the passage this morning just to think about how that final phrase repent and believe in the gospel might land on you afresh this morning because it is a call to make a decision. It's a call to commit ourselves to Jesus. And for those who have never done this, we need to know that everything in our world is going to try and keep us from this kind of decision. Perhaps you have friends, coworkers, classmates in your life that you're thinking about, and they, they would like to do anything except take a stand or make a commitment, especially as it relates to Jesus. And like I said, our world loves to give us millions of different choices for things, but tell us that that committing to something wholesale that you can't turn back from is actually a little bit risky for you to do. That's why we have over 1,800 shows we can watch on Netflix, right? Because if there's only one, we would not want that kind of commitment. That's why there are over 50,000 fast food chains in our country. Or more significantly, that's why the average college student changes their major anywhere from one to six times. That's why my generation, millennials, on average, spend less than three years in a given job at a time. It's why we're delaying things like marriage and having children, because we fear being tied down to something that we can't undo. And what we like to do then is, is think that religion is the same thing. That if we just keep our options open without ever really committing to anything, then we will be okay. But the reality is Jesus doesn't give us that choice. He says you can choose life and believe or you can choose death and keep going on your own way. There is no other option. The commitment that he requires of us is something that we have to consider for ourselves. And here's the thing. There are certain situations where we know that making a decision is all we have. You wouldn't refuse food if you were starving and it was offered to you, right? You wouldn't refuse treatment from a doctor if you were dying. It's the same kind of message that Jesus gives here when he says, repent and believe in the gospel. But what about those of us who have done this and we have been given new life in Christ? Does this statement have anything to do with us as well? I think it does. Because whether we like it or not, we can fall prey to this same kind of mindset, right? We can be kind of coaxed by the world to just think that we can kind of take it or leave it sometimes when it comes to Jesus. We can treat his words as if they're nice suggestions from a friend and not the commands of our king. We can be quick to speak about Jesus around one group of friends, but be very silent about him around another group of friends. We can express our commitment to Jesus on Sunday morning, and then we can totally and completely forget about our commitment to Jesus on Monday or Friday or any other day of the week. There can be a disconnect in our lives that we can think if we're not careful that following Jesus is optional from one day to the next. And so here's the beautiful simplicity of the gospel is that whether you've never turned to Jesus in faith or whether you've been following him for years and you're in this mindset, the command is the exact same, right? Repent, turn from your sins, and believe in the gospel, that being offered to all of us is the choice of life over death. And the simplicity of this message is going to get expanded throughout the rest of Mark's gospel, but it's here for us right at the very beginning to tell us that it never gets old and that it never runs out that there is always in this life an opportunity to repent and believe in the gospel. But as we know by the end of the story, one day that offer will expire, and that is when Jesus returns. And everyone who has trusted in him here and now will be received in his kingdom in joy, and everyone who has not will face condemnation. And so the stakes in this are high And that's for all of us to receive and, oh, I pray it's for all of us to be faithful to communicate to those in our lives that we love who have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus. Let's pray.